Hello everybody, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am currently doing Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. We are on the third missionary journey with Paul and his companions. He is at Ephesus in the last part of chapter 19. He experienced that horrible riot at Ephesus when the owners of the divining slave girl said, Paul has cast the demon out of my slave girl. She can't, out of our slave girls, it was more than one. Out of our slave girl, and she can't predict the future anymore, and we can't make any more money. So there was a, and you, and, and you, Paul, have, and you Christians have slighted our great Diana, the many breasted one, whose paps feed the universe. And so Paul was rescued by the magistrates there in Ephesus, who had a level head and said, We're going to get in trouble with the Romans if we have a riot here. And so the uproar cooled down. But probably Paul said, it's time to get out of town. Verse 20, verse 1, Acts 20, verse 1. After the uproar was over, and that's the uproar that I just mentioned in the amphitheater in Ephesians, in Ephesus, Paul was not in the amphitheater. It was Gaius of Macedonia and Aristarchus from Thessalonica were the two that got caught into that uh, uproar, who were dragged before the assembly. But after the uproar was over, Paul sent for the disciples. These are the disciples in Ephesus. He encouraged them, and after saying goodbye, departed to go to Macedonia. Now, notice that Paul was not really run out of town. He had time to hang back and encourage the disciples. Notice how many times Paul strengthens and encourages churches he's already started. He does that all the time. I can't tell you how good it is to have somebody who's maturing the Lord sitting in front of you telling, telling you it's going to be all right. You're going to grow in the Lord. The Lord is victorious, and so forth. When I was a young Christian, I did that all the time. I wish I could do it now, but I'm so old I can't find anybody to, anybody to do it anymore. What were Paul's goals as he departed to go to Macedonia? First of all, he wanted to leave Ephesus because of the uproar, the riot in the Ephesian amphitheater. Second of all, he wanted to preach in Troas on the way to Macedonia, probably. Troas is up there where Troy is, right there at the north of the Aegean Sea, right before you get to the hell spot. How do we know Paul wanted to Preach in Troas. Within I've studied Bible and Gill say so. I think they're just speculating. Well, that's not true. I shouldn't say they're speculating. It comes from Second Corinthians two verses twelve through thirteen. When I came to Troas, Paul writes to the Corinthians. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, the Lord opened the door for me. And so, if we connect Second Corinthians two up with this third journey trip to Troas, and we see that Paul went up there. He had in mind to preach. Now, also, he went up to Troas to meet Titus. But Titus was a messenger, a co-worker of Paul that Paul had sent from Ephesus to Corinth, and he was bearing what is called the severe letter. Well, why did Paul send Titus to Corinth? Well, first of all, he had sent Titus to Corinth to finish the collection for the Jerusalem poor saints. The poor saints in Jerusalem, as Jameson Fawcett and Brown said. He had sent Titus to Corinth to remedy the fallout precipitated by Timothy's early delivery of 1 Corinthians to the church at Corinth. And if you recall, that letter was a little, little, little rough. Accused the Corinthians of not disciplining the church, not disciplining the brother who's sleeping with his stepmother, factionalism, abuse of spiritual gifts, not loving one another, you know, various things like that, abusing the Lord's Supper, getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Yeah, that was that was some nasty stuff in that letter. And Timothy had delivered that, and now Paul's got to go see what happened. Also, he had earlier had a painful visit. All of this we'll look at when we look at First and Second Corinthians, but apparently Paul had had his painful visit by this time. So the Corinthians had gotten a rebuking letter in First Corinthians, They had gotten a painful visit from Paul, and now Titus is bringing the so-called severe letter, which is mentioned in 2 Corinthians, but which was lost. And Titus had already carried that severe letter to Corinth. All right, so Corinth has gotten a 1 Corinthians from Timothy, bad news for the Corinthians, and then he's gotten a severe letter from Paul carried by Titus, bad news again, and... Paul had already made a, a previous painful visit to them, apparently, and this might be speculative, but apparently he had done that. And so Paul's a little bit anxious. So he wants to go up to Troas to meet Titus. He had probably arranged with Titus to meet Titus at Troas. Now, he didn't meet him there, as we see in Second Corinthians 2, 13. 
or 12 and 13, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, the Lord opened the door for me. I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find my brother Titus. But I said goodbye to them, to the people in Troas, and left for Macedonia. Well, so Paul was going up to Troas to meet Titus. He didn't meet him there, but he did meet him later on after Paul had crossed, sailed on over into Macedonia. We read in Second Corinthians 7, verses 5 through 7, in fact, when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way, conflicts on the outside, fears inside. But God, who comforts the humble, comforted us by the arrival of Titus. And then down in verse 13 of 2 Corinthians 7, For this reason we have been comforted. In addition to our comfort, we rejoiced even more over the joy Titus had because his spirit was refreshed by all of you. So Paul was quite happy that the Corinthians weren't totally destroyed and been out of shape and upset with Paul and all that, that they had reformed themselves. They had repented before God, apparently, and Titus had given Paul the good news. So that's why Paul was going up to Troas to meet Titus. He didn't see him there. He met him later somewhere in Macedonia, but he was heading up there. That was his goal. So Paul's got good reason here to leave Ephesus now after being there two years and three months. He's ready to go out on the road again, and I haven't finished. He's got another reason. He wants to continue collecting money for that offering for the saints in Judea, the poor saints. Let's read about that in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4. Now about the collection for the saints. That's the saints in Jerusalem. You should do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he prospers so that no collections will be need to be made when I come. When I arrive, I will send with letters those you recommend to carry your gracious gift to Jerusalem. If it is suitable for me to go as well, they can travel with me, as we'll see in just a minute. That's what happened. Paul, with certain companions, ended up sailing back to Jerusalem. Again, this collection, this poor collection for the saints in Jerusalem being collected from the churches in Macedonia. We read about this in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 11. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. I testify that on their own, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped, instead they gave themselves especially to the Lord and to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so also so he should also complete this grace to you. Now as you excel in everything, faith, speech, knowledge, and all diligence, and your love for us, excel also in this grace. He's asking them to give money for this poor collection, which he's getting ready to come pick up. And by the way, he had sent Erastus and Timothy earlier from Ephesus. I'd forgotten about that. He sent them early, as we saw in the previous chapter in Acts. Paul goes on in Second Corinthians, I am not saying this as a command, rather by means of the diligence of others. I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Now I am giving an opinion on this because it is profitable for you, who a year ago began not only to do something, but also to desire it. But now finish this task as well, that just as there was eagerness to desire it, so there may also be a completion from what you have. So Paul is urging the church at Corinth there to cough up some shekels for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And so this is, of course, what Paul is doing on this trip. So he's got a lot on his mind here as he leaves Ephesus. He wants to preach in Troas. He wants to find out how the Corinthian church is doing after all their troubles. He wants to hear from Titus. He wants to continue collecting money. And he also wants to avoid the heat that's in Ephesus now that he's raised a riot. So he goes over to Macedonia. Now, he departed to go to Macedonia in verse 1 of Acts 20. Now, what's in Macedonia? Of course, the three churches there, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. If you look at the map, if you look at the map of the GNC, Thrace is at the northeastern shore, on the northeastern shore of the Aegean Sea. Macedonia is on the northwestern shore of the Aegean Sea. And Greece is on the western shore of the GNC. If you just kind of keep that in mind, you can kind of keep these regions separate. And these three churches in Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea are mentioned a lot. If you look at a map, they're not that far from each other. We also read about this poor collection in Romans 15, verses 25 through 28. Right now I am traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So Paul is referring to his, his, he's getting ready to go back to Jerusalem on his third journey here. He's referring to that in his letter to the Romans. 
Romans 15, verse 27, continuing, Yes, they were pleased and indeed are indebted to them, Macedonia and Achaia. That's Greeks, Greece. The churches in Macedonia, those three churches I just mentioned in the church at Corinth, were pleased to make money and indeed are indebted to the poor saints of Jerusalem. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual benefits, if it wasn't for the Jews, there wouldn't have been a Jesus and there wouldn't have been a gospel of the kingdom. For the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual benefits, then they are obligated to minister to Jews in material needs. And I think another reason that Paul was so interested in showing mercy to the Jerusalem saints is not only because they were poor, but also to show that Gentiles cared about Jews to heal over that terrible rift, that dividing wall of partition, as Paul puts it, that existed between the early Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And he wants to work that. He wants to try to smooth that over. Continuing in Romans fifteen twenty eight. So when I finish this and safely delivered the funds to them, I will visit you on the way to Spain. And so now what we're talking about here in Acts 20 is the collection of this money and getting it back to Jerusalem. Now, before he went to Macedonia, he waited a little bit, as I mentioned, to 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 preach to the, well, what does it say? It doesn't say, it's to encourage the disciples there at Ephesus. Notice he didn't just leave town immediately. If he'd have done that, it would look like he was afraid and intimidated, as John Gill says, but he didn't do that. He took his time getting out. Adam Clark speculates that that riot probably caused Paul to leave Ephesus earlier than he had originally planned. He had originally planned to leave after Pentecost, but we'll see later that he, as he, on on his return trip back to Jerusalem, on his third journey, he is trying very hard to get to Jerusalem before Pentecost. So he left before he left Ephesus before Pentecost, trying to get to, to Jerusalem before Pentecost passed. But in 1 Corinthians 16:8, Paul tells the Corinthians, "I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost." So he obviously changed his mind. The right might have made him change his mind. There is one other thing, other motive that Paul had to go to Macedonia is to strengthen those three churches in Macedonia and also in Corinth too, in Greece. In addition to collecting money from them, he wanted to encourage them, as he always did with his churches. We go down to verse 2 at Acts 20. And when he, Paul, had passed through those areas, the areas in Macedonia, and exhorted them at length, there's your strengthening of the churches in Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, and exhorted them at length, he came to Greece. Now, this might have taken a considerable amount of time to do all this. We don't know how much time it was. NIV Study Bible points this out. Jameson Fawcett and Brown even says that Paul might have taken some time to take a detour to the west, to cross Macedonia westward, to get to the Adriatic side of the of the Balkans there, and then go north a little bit, and you end up in Illyricum. He, Jameson Fawcett and Brown, and the NIV Study Bible also speculates that. Romans 15:19 says this, By the power of miraculous signs and wonders, and by the power of God's Spirit. As a result, I have fully proclaimed the good news about the Messiah from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. Now, Illyricum, if you're on, if you know where Albania is, if you know where Greece is, you're up to, going up the west coast of Greece, then you hit Albania, which is across the Adriatic Sea from Italy, and then you go a little bit up right where, where the Croatia, Slovenia, let's just say Slovenia, Croatia, that, that area up there in the Balkans. Slovenia is where Melania Trump is from, right there is the, as the Adriatic, as the coast on the north, the northern coast of the Adriatic Sea starts to bend to the west, going towards Italy. All around that area is called Illyricum, very famous region in ancient history. And Paul says here in the letter to the Romans that he had preached the good news about the Messiah all the way to Illyricum, using miraculous signs and wonders as he was ought want to do. This is speculation, of course, but it could be. He's got to fit it in there somewhere. Somewhere in Paul's journeys, he went to Illyricum. Now, on this trip, I think I've previously mentioned this as in passing in reading the scriptures about in second in first and second Corinthians about Paul's trip to Macedonia. This was not an easy trip. He had a lot of trouble, as Adam Clark points out, quoting second Corinthians seven verses five through seven. In fact, when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way, conflicts on the outside, fears inside, but God, who comforts the humble, comforted us by the arrival of Titus. And not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort he received from you. He told us about your deep longing, your sorrow, and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. So you see, in Macedonia, they had no rest. It was a rough trip. I just don't think that the average Christian here in America understands what missionaries go through in order to get the gospel out into difficult places. I have There's not but about 3,000 missionaries in the Church of Christ today. And I've talked to a lot of them, having been in China for a long time, and I'm telling you, I do have nothing but admiration for those guys. 
because they live a very, very difficult life. And there's nothing glamorous about it. As you know, the history of the Apostle Paul, he was stoned, he was ridiculed, he was thrown in jail, he spent sleepless nights, he was shipwrecked. No, there's nothing glamorous about it. Makes great stories, you know. I, I'll, I'll never forget the Amy Carmichael book I read. She was a missionary to India, and she described she, something like missions as it really is. She got tired of all the missionaries writing letters back saying, Oh, it's wonderful, all these five, five gazillion people have gotten saved and all. Send your money. Well, of course, it is exciting to see people saved on the mission field, but it is very difficult. And she wrote that book, and I still remember the descriptions of her walking around those Indian villages trying to get those hardened pagans to even listen to her and how they treated her. And I thought, yikes, what these people do to get the gospel out. What they do. Missionaries, and you know, I know we're not supposed to say that missionaries are any better than anybody else, but I'm going to tell you something. As far as what they do, it is better than most of us. I don't know how else to say it because I've seen them. And Paul is the classic missionary. And what's, what does apostle mean? It means missionary. Apostle is the Greek. Missionary is the Latin. Same thing. And he went out and spread the gospel and started churches. And it's very, very difficult. God bless these people that are doing it. All right, so he's come to Greece in verse 2. We go to verse 3 in Acts 20. He stayed three months. And Greece is probably means Corinth. So he stayed there at Corinth for three months. He, he remembered previously on the second journey, he stayed at Corinth for 18 months. Now he's three more months at Corinth. When he was about to set sail for Syria, he wants to go home after the third journey. Syria is his hometown where Antioch is. And I don't know why. Says maybe he was planning to go to Syria for Antioch first get, to get home and then head on down to Jerusalem, although that doesn't make sense to me, unless he thought he was landing at Antioch and he was going to go from Antioch to Jerusalem because a lot of ships do, do go to Antioch. That's a big, important port there. So when he says set sail for Syria, he really means to set sail for Jerusalem because Jerusalem's right south of Antioch. But anyway, he's getting ready to set sail, making his arrangements. A plot was devised against him by the Jews, once again, the implacable hostility of his fellow countrymen everywhere he goes. This is in Corinth. He's already had trouble in Corinth with the Jews. If you recall, Paul is described in Acts 18, verse 5. Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus, verse 6. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, You blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent, I'm going to the Gentiles now. So the Jews continued their nasty hostility to the Hebrew of Hebrews, Paul. Couldn't stand this message of the Messiah. And we don't know what the plot was, but whatever it was, they decided they better not get on a ship. Now it was hard to find ships anyway, because this was in the winter, because we know this, because it's, when, he, when he finally gets up to Philippi on his way back, it's the time of the Passover, which was sometime in, in the spring. And so the winter had just passed. And so, and in the winter months, ships did not sail regularly, as the NIV Study Bible points out. By the way, this third journey is somewhere in the years between 52 and 57. He left Antioch in 52. He stayed in Ephesus two years and three months, right in the middle of that. Now he stayed in Corinth for three months, and then he's got travel. You add it all up, and this is roughly, and again, these dates are rough, or approximate, circa 52 to 57. But that's close enough. That's what most people seem to, seem to say. It's around that time. All right, so in that three months, he's getting ready. He's preparing to sail back to Syria, Antioch, and Jerusalem. During that three months, Adam Clark says he may have visited Athens and other cities. Speculation we don't know. During that three months, he probably wrote the letter to the Romans. As the NIV Study Bible, Jameson Fawcett, Brown, and Adam Clark say, so it seems to be most people think that Paul wrote the letter to Romans here during his stay at Corinth on the third journey. And how did he get the letter to Rome? Well, Phoebe of Sincre, Sincre is the port of Corinth on the eastern shore of the, on the eastern side of the Isthmus of Corinth. And Phoebe sent that letter from Sincre to Rome. Romans 16.1 says, Paul says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is servant of the church in Sincrea. So that's what Paul's doing here in Corinth, writing the letter to Romans, getting ready to sail through Syria, that didn't work because of the plot. They changed the plans. They're going to go by land back through Macedonia through the same three churches again, Berea, Thessalonica, and Philippi. And then they're going to sail from Philippi over to Troas to get back over into Asia. I just mentioned the speculation that Paul went not only to Corinth, but to other regions in, Gre in, other regions in Greece. 
Well, 2 Corinthians 11.10 says this, As the truth of Christ is in me, this is Paul speaking, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Sort of a hint that he's boasting, I quote-unquote boasting, that's a satirical use of the word. He's satirically boasting all over Achaia, not just at Corinth, as Jameson Fawcett Brown point out. 2 Corinthians 1.1 is addressed to God's church at Corinth with all the saints who were throughout Achaia. So you see the gospel spread through Greece, not just Corinth. We go now to, oh, let's talk about this plot. This plot that the Jews used to stop Paul from sailing from Corinth. Of course, there's the same old religious reasons why the Jews opposed Paul, but the NIV Study Bible and Adam Clark and John Gill speculate that their motives with their, the Jewish motive was theft. Paul had now amassed a good collection for the Jerusalem poor saints. The Jews may have heard about this and become tempted. And the port at Syncria would be a convenient place for Paul's enemies to detect him because there's only a few ships sailing out, and all you got to do is keep an eye on the port and on the ship and on the sailors up there, and you can find out when they're coming. You could grab them and steal their money. So we go to verse 4 in Acts 20. He, Paul, was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy, and Tychicus and Trophimus from Asia. Now, I know it's easy to let your eyes glaze over when you hear all these names, but let's look at them a little bit closer here. It's very interesting, as the NIV Study Bible points out, that the delegates who have been appointed to accompany Paul and the Jerusalem Poor Saint Collection are a well-balanced delegation. Now, remember, they're carrying the money back to Jerusalem, and so all these people are going with Paul, which, again, shows that if you're carrying money, you better have somebody with you for accountability's sake. Don't be stupid with money. I've carried money into China in a suitcase. I remember standing with a briefcase just chock full, thousands of dollars of American dollars in cash, which we were going to deliver. Well, it was actually not dollars. We had converted it to RMB. And we were going to deliver it to some of the underground church. And doggone, this Chinese guy comes up. And I'm carrying the bag. That was my job to carry the money. I was the bag lady. <laughs> I, was, I was carrying the money. And this doggone guy, we were in a, we was looking for some toilet articles in a shopping in a store, a large store. And all of a sudden, this Chinese guy comes up, and he's speaking perfect English. Well, right then, I should have been suspicious because most Chinese don't speak perfect English. And he was just said, hey, what you doing? And I, trusting soul that I am, didn't realize that he was a KGB undercover agent. And I said, well, you know, I'm just traveling, looking at China, which is true, because I like to look. I was traveling through China. I've I like to see everything in China. And uh, I was just being friendly with him, not suspecting anything. And he said, I said, and I complimented him, complimented him on his English. I said, how's your English so good? He said, oh, his father had a job in America and he studied at Tyler, Texas or something like that. Well, he studied, had a job in Texas. His, fa his father was in Texas and he had spent some time in Texas. And I said, oh, really, where? And he said, Tyler, Texas. And I said, oh, that's near. And I started talking about the area in Texas, which I actually know very little about. I started asking about the Dallas Cowboys and stuff like that. And I could tell he didn't have the foggiest notion of what I was talking about. And then it hit me. This guy ain't on the level with me. And I'm standing here with a suitcase full of money for the underground church. And my life passed before my eyes. <laughs> so I decided to be real cool then and kind of ease out from the conversation while I was talking with him. The guy that I was on the trip with, he grabbed that bag and just walked away from me, which I thought looked sort of suspicious, but I didn't say anything, and so nothing happened. So, but my point is, is I would not carry money by myself, and the brother who had arranged this trip and who collected the money, he was not going to carry the money by himself. We were going to do it together. And when they got and in China, when you deliver money to the underground church, you always get in a hotel room somewhere and get, in, and get on the bed there and put the money on the piles in the bed. And everybody counts it where the foreigners delivering the money and the Chinese people receiving the money. They count it. They write it down how much it is because there's even corruption in the church in China. I remember a story about a Chinese Chinese worker in the church got caught with a trunk full of American dollars. Oh. Bad news. You know, anybody can be tempted by money. And these people, and I'm telling you, the underground church in China is heroic as far as I'm concerned. But, it, but even they can be tempted by money. And so, anyway, Paul is traveling with a bunch of people for accountability's sake. Now, not only is it a bunch of other people, for, but also look at the geographical distribution of where they were from. First of all, we've got Macedonians. We've got 
Sopater, son of Prius from Berea, that's the Macedonian church. We've got Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, that's a Macedonian church. So he's got three people from Macedonia, one from Berea and two from the Thessalonican church. Didn't have anybody from Philippi, but still. Got two people from the Macedonia. Then he's got Gaius from Derby and Timothy. Gaius Derby is in the center, right near the Galatian district, actually where Pisidian Antioch comes butts up against Galatia, right there in the middle of Macedonia. Passed through twice on the first journey and once on the second journey. Maybe even on the third journey. I don't know. It doesn't say. But that's where Derby was. And Timothy was from Lister right next to Derby. So they're from Central Central Asia Minor. And this Gaius, by the way, is a different Gaius, most probably than the one who got caught up in the Ephesian riot in the amphitheater there. There were four Gaiuses in the New Testament. I, I assume they're all different just to make it easy. But anyway, this Gaius from Derby and Timothy for, were from Central Asia Minor. And then from Western Asia Minor, Tychicus and Trophimus, it says from Asia in verse 4 of Acts 20. One of these is said to be an Ephesian. I think it was, who was it? Trophimus, not Tychicus. Trophimus is said to be an Ephesian, an Ephesian in Acts 21, 29, for they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian in the city with him. That's back in Jerusalem because these guys stayed on the ship all the way to Jerusalem. So you see the balance there. We got Trophimus from Ephesus and Tychicus somewhere in Asia, maybe from Ephesus also. That's Western Asia Minor. Central Asia Minor, we have Gaius from Derby and Timothy. And then in Macedonia, we've got Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, and we've got Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica. So this shows that this, we're all the church out here in the West is bringing money to you Jews in Jerusalem, all these Gentiles out here from all over, not just from one place, but all over they care about you, and let's heal this breach between Jew and Gentile in the church, and let's show love for one another. Secundus from Thessalonica is not mentioned anymore, by the way. Aristarchus was was one of the two Christians who was dragged before the Ephesian mob into the amphitheater and the Ephesian riot, which occurred in the end of the last chapter, chapter 19. We all know about Timothy, of course. He's famous, Paul's beloved son, Timothy. Timothy may have worked in more than one church, as the NIV Study Bible says. They cite 1 Corinthians 16, 11. Therefore, no one should look down on him, look down on Timothy. Send him on his way in peace so he can come to me, for I'm expecting him with a brother. So Timothy is said to be working with the church at Corinth there. As I've already said, he delivered he delivered 1 Corinthians from Paul to the church at Corinth. Philippians 2, 19 through 24. Three, Paul says this, Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that, I, so that I also may be encouraged when I hear news about you. So Paul sent Timothy to the church at Philippi. So we have these glimpses in the letters of Paul that Timothy was around. He was on, he was, in fact, he was on the second journey. He was picked up on the second journey and carried with Paul. Remember Paul in the second journey, waiting alone at Athens, then waiting at Corinth, waiting for Silas and Timothy to show up. They finally showed up in Corinth. So anyway, Timothy was is well-known. Tychicus now is not so well-known. He was a constant help to Paul, as Paul says in the NIV Study Bible. Excuse me, as the NIV Study Bible states, that Tychicus was a constant help to Paul, especially in the province of Asia. Quoting Ephesians 6, 21 through 22, Tychicus, our dearly beloved, our dearly loved brother and faithful servant, and the Lord will tell you all the news about me so that you may be informed. I am sending him to you for this very reason. So at some point, I don't know when, Paul sent Tychicus to the church at Ephesus, and then at the church at Colossae, Colossians 4, 7-9, Tychicus, our dearly beloved brother, our dearly loved brother, faithful servant and fellow slave in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I have sent him to you for this very purpose. All right. And it says later on in verse 9, he is with Onesimus. So Tychicus, who was from Asia, was used by Paul to send messages to the church at Ephesus in Colossus in Colossae, which, of course, were close to each other in Asia, western coast of Asia Minor. 2 Timothy 4.12, Paul writes, Timothy, I have sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Titus 3.12, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me in Nicopolis. And we'll talk about where those places are and when it happened when we get to the to the discussions of the individual letters of Paul. But I just read that to you to show that Tychicus was around. He was also a a fellow servant, a trusted fellow servant of Paul. All right, so Tychicus and Trophimus we've covered. Timothy we've covered. Gaius from Derby, uh, he's just somebody that's mentioned from Derby. We don't know anything about him too much. Secundus is not mentioned anymore. I've already mentioned Aristarchus, the Thessalonican, who got 
into got caught by the mob in Ephesus in the Ephesian riot. Now Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, may be the same guy as Sosipater, according to the NIV study Bible Gillian Clark, and Sosipater is mentioned in Romans sixteen twenty one. Timothy, my co-worker, and Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow countrymen, greet you. So we don't know too much about him, but he's mentioned. All right, I think that's run through all the fellow workers with Paul. Luke is not mentioned, but Luke probably joined them at Philippi. In the NIV study Bible, Acts 20, verse 6, we'll read in a couple of verses. But we sailed away from Philippi. That's after they left Corinth and going back to Macedonia, got to Philippi, and then it says we sailed away from Philippi. And since Luke is writing the book, the week includes him. So he was also included. Dear old Luke, the beloved physician. All right, so now we go to verse 5 in Acts 20. These men went on ahead and waited for us in Troas. All these men that I just spent a lot of time talking about, they sailed from Neapolis, which is the seaport of Philippi. They sailed for Troas and waited for Paul. Paul and his immediate companions stayed at Philippi. They waited for us. That would be Paul and Luke. Maybe somebody else, I don't know. NIV Study Bible says they stayed at Philippi, and then they sailed a week later. Which And we'll see that in a minute. A minute. Now, I said Luke was with Paul. Gil says Sopater was with Paul, too. I have no idea how he knows that. Gil loves to speculate. I guess he's speculating. But at any rate, it doesn't really matter. Paul had somebody with him. He had Luke with him for sure. Waited behind at Philippi and then sent the trip, the, the boat on ahead to Troas with all the other people, probably with the money, too, I would suspect. We go to verse 6. But we sailed away from Philippi. Remember, Philippi is in Macedonia still. Said the northern Aegean, and it's a short hop there. They could go by land, actually, across the Hellspont to get to Troas, but they sailed across the north Aegean back to Troas, where the Trojan War took place, where Troy was, northwestern corner of the Anatolian Peninsula. We sailed away from Philippi after the Days of Unleavened Bread. Now, the Days of Unleavened Bread, of course, is the seven-day festival that occurs after Passover, which occurs in the spring, sometime between the earliest possible date is May, the latest possible date is early June, so I always just say, you know, excuse me, not May. I, did, I shouldn't have said May, April. Somewhere between a April and May. Sometime in the spring, they that's where they were. They were sailed from Philippi after the Festival of the Unleavened Bread. Now, some people say they waited so they could keep it, so they could celebrate celebrate the feast. No. For one thing, John Gill says the Passover was kept only at Jerusalem, not in Philippi. And for another reason, Passover was abolished for Christians. So it was just a mention of the of the time here. It didn't mean that they were sitting there celebrating that festival in Philippi. In five days we reached them, we, meaning at least Paul and Luke, reached them at Troas, which of course was across past the Hellspont, the mouth of the Hellspont there, right there on the corner of northwestern corner of Asia. It took two days it took them two days coming. On the second journey, then setting sail from Troas, we set a straight course to Samothraki, Samothrace, the next day to Neapolis. So the winds must have been adverse going backwards. Now, this time indication right here in Philippi, they waited till after the unleavened bread, and, and we're going to find out later Paul is trying his dead-level best to get back to Jerusalem for Pentecost, which is 50 days later. Pentecost was 50 days after the the day after the Sabbath day, which fell during that seven-day festival of unleavened bread, which is kind of complicated in Leviticus 13. Well, the day after that, first, after the Sabbath that was included in that seven-day period, that was a Sunday. And if you count seven days, four, seven weeks after that, 50 days after that, that would be Pentecost. Well, they've already eaten up. It took five days to get to Troas. They spent seven days in Troas. It says here in verse 6 in Acts 20, probably looking for a ship. That's 12 days. They haven't got but 38 days left to get all the way down the coast of Asia Minor, island hop and sail all the way. Then they get to Tyre, and, and finally they show up in Jerusalem. I don't think they made it in time. The, Paul was trying to. Now, I've looked in a bunch of commentaries, and it seems to me this is a logical question to answer. Did Paul actually make it to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost? I don't think he did, but I can't find anybody to tell me yay or nay, so I'm going to have to hold that until maybe I'll run across the answer sometime future in my studies. Now, we are going to read here in Acts 20, verse 16, the last verse I'm going to take up in this audio. I'm going to jump ahead to it right now. 
For Paul, Acts 20, verse 16, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so he would not have to spend time in Asia because he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, for the day of Pentecost. Not Passover now, but Pentecost. Passover's past. It's gone by in Philippi. That's gone. And now he's sailing, trying to get back to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost. So I'm going to jump ahead a little bit and let's look at this. Why would he be trying to get to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost? Well, it's not to celebrate Pentecost. Paul's a Christian now. He doesn't need to celebrate Jewish feasts. Now, of course, that doesn't mean to say there was something wrong with celebrating it. There was no disrespect to his doctrine of being free from the law if he celebrated it. There's nothing that says that Christians can't voluntarily celebrate a Jewish feast. That doesn't mean that you're requiring them to, to keep the feast in order to get saved. So, it, you know, it's possible he could have been going there to celebrate Pentecost, but I don't believe it. As a Christian, he doesn't have this need to celebrate Jewish feast. Well, why would he want to be there? Well, this is speculations I've garnered from the Internet. It was a big day for the beginning of the church when the Holy Spirit fell. So he wanted to be there for kind of like a Christian celebration instead of a Jewish celebration. Again, I don't believe that. <laughs> I mean, he spent lots of Pentecost away from Jerusalem before. Now, this is what I think is more reasonable. It was a great opportunity for evangelism because of all the pilgrims there. Now, that makes a lot of sense. That's what Paul, that's what motivated Paul. He's trying to spread the gospel, and he got all those Jews there. And, of course, he's got that money, and maybe he felt like since there was going to be all those pilgrims in Pentecost, pilgrims in Jerusalem at Pentecost, there's going to be a lot of poor Jews there, and great time to give them money and evangelize at the same time. People will love it when you show them appreciate it. If you give them money and then tell them about the gospel, that's a lot better than taking money from, from them and then tell them the gospel. Like so many preachers do today, give me money, give me money, and I'll tell you about Jesus. Running the risk of preaching the gospel for profit and being perceived that way. But Paul and his fellow workers here are giving money to the poor saints at Jerusalem. And what a perfect time to do it at Pentecost when there's a bunch of Jews there. And just like he didn't keep the Passover in Philippi, I don't think he was trying to go to Pentecost to keep the Feast of Pentecost in Jerusalem either. Neither one. I think he had practical reasons. He wanted to evangelize and deliver that poor offering, that charity, charitable offering for the saints. Now, even though he was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem from Troas, he stayed there seven days. Well, you think, well, that doesn't make sense. Why would he wait seven days when he's in a hurry? Well, Probably because he couldn't find a ship. Could be. Or it could be he wanted to wait till Sunday to break bread with the saints. I don't think so. He could have had an impromptu meeting on the spot rather than waiting around. It's probably because he didn't have a ship. Now he arrives in Troas, where they spent seven days. We read in verse 6. We're still in verse 6 of Acts 20. He arrived on Sunday evening or maybe Monday morning, according to Gill. Jameson Foston Brown said it was on Monday. It depends on how you count. He stayed there seven days and he spent all day Sunday, the next Sunday, teaching them in the smoky room where Eutychus fell out the window. That was seven days later, so it depends on how you count. If he arrived on Sunday and then start counting on Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that's seven days. Or if you arrive on Monday and start counting on Monday and on the, on the day that you arrive, that's also seven days, so you're not really sure. But it was either on Sunday, Monday, and he waits for a whole week, waiting for a ship, and he says, okay, now Sunday, Sunday's rolled around again. I'm going to speak to the brethren at, uh, at Troas. Now, this is the third time that Paul, and the last time that Paul went to Troas. The first time was when Paul was on the second journey. He had gotten to Troas, and he had a vision at night, a man beckoning him to come to Macedonian, the so-called Macedonian call. That was on the second journey. And here on the third journey, the second time he went to Troas, is when Paul left Ephesus to go up to Troas to see if he could meet Titus to get some news about what's going on at Corinth as he prepared to cross over into Macedonia on the on on the third journey. We read that in 2 Corinthians 2, 12 through 13. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, the Lord opened the door for me. I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find my brother Titus. But I said goodbye to them and left for Macedonia. So he goes to Macedonia, he goes to the three churches of Macedonia down to Corinth, and now he's leaving Corinth, going back on his return trip on the third journey, and he's sailed over from Neapolis, the port of Philippi, and he's got to Troas for the third time, or at least his brethren did, and then Paul and then Paul and Luke ended up meeting the brethren in Troas. I think the brethren of Paul and Luke probably went by on foot. Maybe they took another ship, doesn't say, but Paul and Luke took a ship, took a boat from Neapolis, from the port of Philippi, all the way over to Troas. All right, so now we've got 
all the brethren there together in Troas. Verse 7, on the first day of the week, we assembled to break bread. There's the we again. That means Luke's with them. Paul spoke to them, the brothers at Troas, and since he was about to depart the next day, he extended his message until midnight. Now that shows that he normally didn't talk that long, but since this was his last opportunity, he stayed there talking later and later and later till past midnight. Now this was the first day of the week. That's Sunday. Some people say it was Saturday evening because it's the first day of the week. That's the way the Jews counted time. But the NIV Study Bible points out there's no evidence that Luke is using Jewish methods here. I would assume he's using Roman methods. So we're going to assume this is on Sunday. Jameson Fawcett and Brown say this about that phrase, the first day of the week. This, compared with 1 Corinthians 16.2, which I'll read you in a minute, and other similar allusions, plainly indicates that the Christian observance of the day afterwards distinctly called the Lord's Day was already a fixed practice of the churches. And I think that's true. We look in 1 Corinthians 16.2, the verse that Jameson Fawcett and Brown quoted. We read this, Paul saying this to the Corinthians. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he prospers. Well, why would that be on the first day of the week that you collect money? Because that's when they get got together to worship. So they're there together. It's convenient to take up an offering for the poor saints. Revelation 1.10, first part of the verse. John the Apostle says this, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, capital L, capital D, in my English Standard Version translation. So you see, the Lord's Day had become a special day set aside by the Christians for worship because it was the day that Jesus rose again from the dead, emphasizing the resurrection. Now you notice that they assembled for what purpose? In order to break bread. That means to have the Lord's Supper. The formal purpose of the meeting was to have the Lord's Supper. You know, today we'd say, well, we got together on Sunday to listen to a sermon. We got together on the... Sunday to to have fellowship. We got together on the Lord's Day to listen to a missionary talk. All of these are wonderful things, but that's not the purpose they talked about in the Lord's Supper. The reason they got together in the, in the early New Testament church, the reason they got together in the early New Testament church was to break bread, to have the Lord's Supper. It was the focal point of the meeting, the agape love feast. Today, we have a sip and a chip every three months, and we Say, yes, we're New Testament churches. We're doing it the way the New Testament did. No, you're not. That's not. I don't know why people want to do it the American way, the Western way, the traditional way, and they don't want to do it the way of the apostles, these same apostles who were close to Jesus, who were closer, 2,000 years closer to Jesus than we are. Why would we not do it the way that Paul and the early apostles taught them how to do it? Well, anyway, they had the Lord's Supper on Sunday. And after that, Paul spoke to them. And he extended his message to midnight. Now, again, this is a, not an example for long-winded preachers. I tell you, there's nothing I hate worse than long-winded preachers. I can't stand it because I am like Eutychus. I get sleepy very easy when I get bored or when I get, and I, or when, just when I get sleepy, even if I'm not bored. So this is a one-time. The, the, I believe in the patterns and acts, but preaching till midnight is not a pattern. It's a one-off example. Paul, uh, Adam Clark estimates that Paul may have taught for six hours. Ooh, that's a long time. However... That's not a sermon. As Adam Clark points out, it is likely that a good part of the time was employed in hearing and answering questions. As Clark points out, the word there that is used for speaking to them is dialegomenu. Dialegomenu, the word for message. He extended his message. Dialegomenu, he extended his dialogue. We get the word dialogue from that. Adam Clark says this, it is likely that a good part of his time was employed in hearing and answering questions for dialegata and dialegumenau may be thus understood. Hear, hear. That's the way to teach. How did Jesus teach? He, he, gave, he, he gave examples, maybe gave a parable, and then he answered questions. They answered him, what does this parable mean, Lord? He had dialogue with the Pharisees when he evangelized. He had dialogue with his disciples when they asked him questions. So, good example for us. We go to verse 8. There were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were assembled. Now, why does Luke give us this ridiculous little detail? Well, there's a reason for it. Well, John Gill speculates it was not only for light, obviously, but also to remove suspicion so that it would not be thought there was some kind of secret midnight society going on. Well, Gill's got a great imagination. I don't think that's why. I think that the detail is what Clark and Jameson Fawcett Brown point out. They're trying to show why Eutychus fell asleep and fell out the window. It's because of all the smoke and the heat in the room, the lack of oxygen, a lot of people in the room also. It was very late. Anybody would get sleepy, even if they're listening to a great apostle's teach. Adam Clark says Luke gave that detail from charity so people wouldn't think Eutychus was negligent. Think about that. Listening to a man who's had visions from heaven about God 
Paul the Apostle sitting right there, and you fall asleep. Well, Eutychus fell asleep. You would have probably fallen asleep. I know I would have fallen asleep. Acts 20, verse 9. A young man named Eutychus was sitting on a windowsill and sank into a deep sleep as Paul kept on speaking. When he was overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was picked up dead. The NIV says, instead of kept on speaking, says Paul talked on and on, on and on and on, maybe for six hours in the smoky dimness with all those people packed in that room. Acts 20, verse 10. But Paul went down, downstairs after he fell from the third story. It says in verse 9, the third story. He's probably dead. You fall from the third story? Whew. Paul went down, fell on him, embraced him, and said, Don't be alarmed, for his life is in him. Now, life is in him does not mean that Paul necessarily raised him from the dead, because there's another option. He was he could have just been unconscious and not dead. I think that's unlikely. He, Eutychus fell from three stories. You fall from three stories, you're likely dead. You're not likely to be alive still. But it doesn't matter. Either way, it was a miracle, because Eutychus walked up. He was perfectly all right after falling from a three-story window. Acts 20, verses 11 through 12, after going upstairs, after he got Eutychus, breaking the bread and eating, Paul conversed a considerable time until dawn. Ah, it's till dawn. He'd already extended his message to midnight, and now he's chatting with the people from Troas, the church at Troas, all the way until dawn. He stayed up all night talking to these people. Then he left. He didn't have time. He had to go, but he stayed up all night before. They brought the boy home alive and were greatly comforted. I guess so. Anytime you see somebody that's dead and he's alive again, that make you feel real good. Paul broke bread with him, it says here in verse uh, verse 11. People speculate as to what that means. I think it means they were breaking the bread. They were having the Lord's Supper. Adam Clark and Jameson Foster and Brown said, no, it was just ordinary food, getting ready for the journey ahead. But that seems to me to contradict Acts verse 20, verse 7. Acts chapter 20, verse 7, which says, on the first day of the week, we assemble to, in order to, break bread. And, of course, breaking bread is a typical technical way of saying having the Lord's Supper. And you notice that it says Paul conversed. He did not continue teaching. He conversed. They're just talking now. He was dialoguing before he's conversing now. He did not give an all-night sermon. Nobody can listen to an all-night sermon with no interaction. John Gill says that after he left Troas, he left his cloak, books, and parchment, parchments, quoting Second Timothy 4.13, When you come, bring the cloak I left in Troas with Carpus as well as the scrolls, especially the parchments. That might be so. I'm not exactly sure how Second Timothy fits in with Paul's itinerary here, but if, if this is referring to the third strip, trip to Troas when Paul left his cloak, then we have a little detail. Paul has to take care of business on his missionary trip. Practical, mundane things. Acts 20, verse 13, Then we, that's Paul and Luke and all the other traveling ministers, apostles, disciples, co-workers. Then we went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, intending to take Paul on board there. So Luke and the other people went on to Assos. Well, if you look at the map, there's a little peninsula on the western uh, Asia Minor coast from Troas to Assos. It's not far. It's about 20 miles. And there's a road, an excellent Roman road that runs straight from Troas to Assos. If you go by ship, you got to go out in the sea around the tip of the peninsula there. But they sailed, Paul walked. Now, the interesting question is, that, well, let me back up a minute here. The ship had to go 40 miles along the coastline. Paul walked 20 miles. So Paul was not that far behind the ship that sailed around the peninsula, even though he was walking. That cape which he sailed around, by the way, according to Jameson Fawcett and Brown, is called Cape Lecture. I don't know why. It's a strange name. So Luke was on the ship, and I assume that Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus, Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy... And Tychicus and Trophimus from Asia were all still with the party there on that ship that went from Troas to Assos. Now, why did Paul go by land? John Gill speculates he wanted to stay behind and talk some more with the saints at Troas and miss the ship, or he wanted private time to be alone in prayer. I don't know why, but he did. He was alone, went by himself. The other apostles, when they took that ship from Troas to Assos, that was probably the same ship that the apostles took from Philippi to Troas. Remember, there's two from Philippi to Troas, there was two divisions of the apostles that went. Paul and Luke stayed behind and followed on behind the other apostles who had arrived at Troas earlier. I assume it's two different ships, but one of those ships was probably the same trip, ship that took them from Troas to Assos. We go to verse 14, Acts 20, when he, Paul, met us, Luke and the other brothers who had come down from Troas on the ship, 
when Paul met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. Mytilene is a famous port. It's on the eastern coast of the island of Lesbos, which is right off the coast of Asia Minor there at the northern, the western coast, somewhere near the northern part. It's mentioned a lot in ancient history. It's on the southeastern shore of Lesbos. It's the capital of Lesbos. All right, after leaving Mytilene, we go to verse 15, Acts 20. Sailing from there, the next day we arrived off Chios. That's another big island off the coast, western coast of Asia's Minor, very famous. The following day we crossed over to Samos, which is even more famous. And the day after we came to Miletus, which is even more famous. Let's start with, let's go in order from north to south. Chios was famous in antiquity, in antiquity for its wines. Samos, was, as the NIV Study Bible says, was one of the most important islands in the Aegean. Yes, sir, they had a powerful government there. Shows up a lot in Greek history, as I said. We go to Miletus next. Now, Miletus is a very famous town. The very first Western philosopher was from there, Thales. It's 30 miles down the coast from Ephesus. You notice Paul skipped Ephesus. He didn't. The ship did not go to Ephesus. Paul probably did not want to get let off at Ephesus because he didn't have time. He was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. He would have liked to have seen his old buddies there in Ephesus. He'd been there for two years and three months, witnessing, teaching, lecturing, uh, or teaching in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So there's a lot of reasons he could have gone to Ephesus, but he didn't have time. So he, he instead went down to Miletus, which was the port city down there about 30 miles away. Miletus is famous for being the birthplace of Thales, the first Greek philosopher who said that the fundamental element of real, of the material world is water. And Anaximander, that's his, his famous philosopher's son, if you read about the pre-Socratic philosophers. Thales also predicted a great eclipse when the king of Lydia... And the Medes were fighting at the Halus River, and there was a huge, there was an eclipse, and Thales predicted that eclipse, and it shocked everybody, so they quit fighting. Thales was also famous because he used his knowledge of astronomy to predict very good olive harvest, and he bought a bunch of olive presses when things were cheap before that harvest came in, and when the harvest came in, he rented them out at a very high price and made a whole lot of money. So anyway, Thales, Miletus is the place of Thales. It was a big commercial city in the 7th century B.C. And Paul stops there. We go to verse 16. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so he would not have to spend time in Asia because he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem if possible for the day of Pentecost, as I've already mentioned. Why did Paul want to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost? I've already said it's not to celebrate the feast there he wasn't a jew anymore probably because he wanted to take the money that of the jerusalem poor offering there at pentecost it'd be a great time to give the money there because you'd have a lot of jews coming from other areas that would probably need money because the area was probably famished or in a famine situation in a poor situation i don't know about famine but it was there wasn't a lot of money there and they were going to be extra burdened by all these pilgrims coming in. A great time to give them money. So that might be why he wanted to get there. Also, perhaps he wanted to preach the gospel with all those visitors present, as John Gill and Adam Clark speculate. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm finished with Acts chapters 20, verses 1 through 16. In our next section, our next audio, starting with verse 17, we will discuss how Paul gave his farewell address to the Ephesian elders at Miletus before he sailed back to Jerusalem. I hope you stay tuned for that audio, and I hope you enjoyed this one.